Grinders. Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD, if you want to follow me there on Twitter. And it's Monday, so you know what we do on Monday. It's Mondays with McCool. James McCool, the co-author with me on the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. You can get it at theoryofdfs.com. It's me and James today on Mondays. We don't go over yesterday's slate. I don't even play yesterday. All the pictures got blew up, but blown up. I, that, apparently, that's I believe that's what happened, right? Uh, I took a day off yesterday. So we'll talk about some strategic concepts. Answer your questions in the YouTube chat. As always, I see you guys. Suki Singh, card fan, Matt Mears, real life picture, Chris Schumacher, Hog Lawrence, Jerome Lewis, Michael Dampier, Shane Newman, Eric Hilpold, who said he played EPL and MLS for the first time. Well, I I had a, I good I got I I had a good uh, soccer soccer over the weekend also, yep. so uh so yeah we could I showed on Friday, right? I said here's some basics and whatever, and you you could have easily competed. Uh, I mean you have to react to news because they rotate starting lines. You don't you can't necessarily predict everything. So it's like this is what we think who's gonna think he's gonna start, and then you, an hour before lock, oh this is all different. So you're gonna have to know how to react. I, there ain't going to be content for that pretty much, but you could you could join Roto Grinders Premium. Click on the link in the description, get $10 off your first month of a, a combo premium subscription. And we, we got a soccer discord. We got the soccer projections and the soccer tags. And, you know, when you know that when Ryan Bertrand is out and he was supposed to be the lock, the lock, whatever. And then who do you play now, right? Who Who's taking set pieces for Leicester now? You'll know that in the, in the discord. But that was, that was over... Uh, of the weekend, and Melvin Pitts asked, "Hey Blender, can you elaborate more on the tweet you sent yesterday? That was awesome." Uh, yeah, James said, "I you saw I, I've been doing little little tweety threads, trying I to have. teach people." Yeah, yeah, you've been right. uh, you've been giving out the free information, right? I, I, I'm I'm just I'm ruining it for 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 all the sharp players. I'm I'm doing that because because uh, the best marketing is winning. Yeah. Right. And you, you weren't here last week. You were, you were, what the hell were you? You're in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I was, we, we had to go to a wedding in Chicago and uh, Damascus is too young for me to feel comfortable taking him on a, on a plane to Chicago. So we drove. Uh, I hate road trips more than I hate most things in this world. So we were on a road trip. It was 15 hours uh, just there. And we were on our way back. It took a day longer than we expected it to. We expected to be back uh, basically like Sunday night, like 3 a.m. Um, but with a baby, you know, you can't really if, if he doesn't want to keep going, like you can't keep going. He's just he's going to make your life hell. So we had to stop. Um, and yeah, I was in the middle of uh, Kearney, Nebraska or something when I when the show would have been going on. And I just just wasn't going to happen. Wasn't going to happen. Maybe you need to go on road trips more often. It seems like I win when 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 you leave. Yeah. Right? You wanted everything while I was gone. I, not everything. Not MLB. Who cares about MLB? It doesn't even matter at this point. Right. MMA, 117,000. And soccer, like another 15,000 on Saturday. Well, the Saturday before that, 15,000 in MMA. Why bother playing the regular sports anymore? Maybe they just play, just play MMA and soccer. Well, soccer's always been my kind of bread and butter yeah. sport to begin with. But I just wanted to show... Uh, since I'm tra I'm transparent, and also the best marketing is winning, as always. Uh, so, 
essentially that's the, the MMA scores. I mean, it's the biggest score I've had. I mean, I've had a hundred K before, but not 116 K. So that has made my year. I mean, it's going to be, I mean, it's, it's the, the volume I play. It's going to be next to impossible for me not to profit this season. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, it's a 99th percent. I mean, I just, I don't play high enough that I could blow and, and go on a streak long enough that I could blow $160,000. So, so I'm good. I'm good. I'm good for the year heading into the NFL season. It, it is not going to change like how much I play really. Right. I mean, yeah, now, well, now 1% of my bankrolls is, is, is higher, but I mean, it's not, I'm not going to be playing Thunderdomes or anything. Right. I may, I may be playing some of the higher stakes NFL con. Maybe I'm playing the $400 juke or the, the maybe, maybe the thousand dollars single entry GPP once in a while. Like maybe you could step up a little there, but I ain't putting 150 lineups into the hundred dollar millimaker or anything for 15,000 bucks. Right. But dude, you could be a million. You could be a millionaire. Oh, I could also be broke. (laughs) (laughs) So I just, I just wanted to show obviously, uh, but see, this is the good, this is the good news, right? Finally, you know, big score in MMA doing well in soccer. If I look at my cohort analysis on sport, but this just, just this year, uh, not doing very well in MLB, right? (laughs) Right. 130,000 in MMA, 25,000 in soccer. 23, four in NBA. I played one week of golf or something. I, I, I can, you have to play long enough to, in order to bink one of those. So I lost money there. NFL just towards the end. I mean, there wasn't much playoffs, January, whatever. And then MLB is just, just other than that one 10,000, like it's just bleeding money. I mean, take a look at, even if we just got look at the graph. Let me go to general sport. MLB. We take a look at this this graph here. I mean, this is this is this is. I mean, this is a GPP player. Yeah. Right. Just up. I played some cash. See, you take a look at this line right over here. I was playing cash games during this time. I was just gonna say I, I can tell when you stop playing cash games, Jordan. Right. Because you see this. <laughs> right. Right. Because that's yeah. the way it's supposed to. Let's the like right. GPP players will 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 know what this looks like. Yeah. And. And once you see GBP players would look at this and go, how, how did you make this line? Right. This line is made through cash. Like, and it, it's not like I was profitable through cash games. I've kind of broke even. Right. So it just smooths it out. And then I made, here's the 10,000 right here or whatever. Right. And then it's just bleeding away, just bleeding, 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 bleeding. But it's not like I didn't place lineups in here. Like if you take a look, here's my, my top 1%, I mean, finishing precisions, just yeah. in baseball for this year. Like I said before, I had like 17 top 20 finishes and nine top 10s. I mean, 1.6% in the top 1%. That's good. Like, I'm, I mean, it's okay. I mean, I, my lifetime, I think, is 1.8%. Yeah, you're a little higher. Right. So, but I'm just saying, like, I'm getting, I don't see anything. Yeah, I'd love for th- this curve to be a little bit, a little bit steeper here. Mm-hmm. Right. But still, I'm getting more than my fair share in the top 1% and not like 1.2, but like 1.6 and up. Yeah. Well, the difference is, is that like, if you take a look at this graph, like imagine one of those fifth places that I got, like, you know, like right here, this may have been like one lineup coming in fifth place, like right here. Like that's all that represents because how about all the other lineups that you're playing? You know, I'm playing a hundred plus lineups. 
Yep. So this may be a fifth place and a cover. And I, I was up a, co- a couple hundred on the day. But that fifth place lineup, like, especially like on FanDuel, where it's like 40,000 a first, 20,000 a second, 10,000 a third, you know, it's like, oh, this is, this is like $2,000. And like you're, you're seven points behind first place. It's like, dude, an RBI double. And this yeah. bump instead of this goes right all the way up to there. Right. And I, and I, this just in one single contest, the variance of coming in between fifth and first would have made the difference of instead of being down 16,000, being up 25,000. Yeah. Like in one contest. And I imagine I, I've had that happen numerous times, right? You're eighth place and I'm back. I'm, I'm at a first by 14 points. It's like, dude, some eighth hitting home run that was caught at the wall. Like there, there, that, that's the variance, right? So that's why looking at the, these finishing positions, I, I, I'm more concerned with this. Am I placing enough lineups high enough? And if I am, like, what am I supposed to change? Like James, like what, like, I, I know you're, you, you're working on your bankroll challenge or whatever. I don't know, cause you're, you're doing stuff for NFL now mm-hmm. uh, coming up to the season. But I mean, looking at this finishing position chart, like, can I glean anything out of it other than just continue doing what I'm doing? I, I mean, 1.6% and top 1% is fine. Like, there's not much you can say about that. You'd, you'd prefer to be somewhere around 2%, but. Well, I mean, that's a type dream. Yeah, I'd love, I'd love, to, I'd love to be 3%, prefer, right? I mean, right, obviously, prefer. but I mean, I just, no, I, I mean, just, my, my, aim, my aim is typically 1.6 to 1. If yeah. I'm in that 1.6 to 2 range, that means I'm probably playing well. If I'm in like 1.4 to one, like I'm not really, but breaking even, but anything under that, like then I'm playing horribly. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you would prefer that to be a little bit steeper in those like 20, that 15 to 20% range, um, because you do have a lot of those like finishing in the 49th to 60th percentile, like that smooth part of that graph. Right. It's but it's that's the way that you play though. I mean, you are a more conservative player, right? I play much more diversified, so I'm going to get line. I'm going to get lineups across the scope of everything. Just, yeah. The steepness is I'm talking about like over here, like the three percent, four percent. Like I'd rather this be pushed up and this be yeah. higher. Like yeah. so, I'm getting. I may be getting some lineups, more lineups in like a hundredth place and two hundredth place and three hundredth place, but it's still not making up for the fact that I'm playing a hundred plus lineups a night. I need to get this one percent either up more or how much more up can I get? I mean, it's just when I've had 17 top 20 finishes, like you can't only one second place and everything else kind of in that like steak knives range. Like yeah. I can't like, there's not, well, there's nothing I could really look at to change what I'm doing. It was like chunk yardage yesterday posted on Twitter that he had two top 10 finishes in a showdown, two top 10. He was like, what eighth and tenth or something like that and he lost he money. ended up and he lost money he lost like a hundred bucks on day. it's like <laughs> you can't do anything more than that i mean he's an exceptional player he's had a fantastic year so like whatever he's gonna be fine but I, th- that's a perfect example of like what happens even if you have these top one percent finishes and that's you know i preach that all the time you preach that all the time all that matters is trying to get those lineups into that top one percent and then the rest is just like let variants try to take over get that eighth inning home run get that eighth inning rbi double whatever um as long as you're getting those one percent finishes more than the field and more than one percent of the time then that's all that you can really hope for there's nothing more you can do i i've had a very similar season with uh with mlb and specifically with nba as well 
NBA had so many top 1% finishes in the month of January alone. I think I had like six top 1% finishes and I only play like in NBA, I play less than 10 lineups a day. So six top 1% finishes is like, that's, that's a lot. Great. Right. I love that, but I didn't bink once. And it's like, all right, I'm negative on the year. Right. Yeah. That's it. I mean, that, <laughs> right. People, people don't understand it. how much equity there is in the top positions, top one, two, three. I mean, like if you're not aiming for that, you, it's, 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 it's nearly impossible to be profitable. Right. Long-term playing these large field GPPs. And that's why you could, and you could play well. I mean, it's just like the, the Millie maker. Like we have, a, we're having a Millie maker, a $5 mill, whatever the hell it is. The first week of the season, 1.2 million entries, <laughs> right? You could be the best player ever in DFS. Build the, I mean, be better than 10 times better than anyone else and still not win that contest with 150 entries in 184 lifetimes, right? Well, playing every week, playing every, I mean, you could still never, never win, right? So it's like, we're dealing with such small sample sizes to begin with. People think a whole, oh, you play a whole season of MLB. Like that's still not, like, dude, like my goal is to place lineups as high as, you know, to the top of the curve as possible. But from there, there's, there's really nothing that you could control enough that it's just build a large sample size and get enough and whatever's there. We have some of the best players in the world that play the Millie every week for 150 entries. Millie's in others in golf, in others in other sport, NBA once in a while, right? MLB there, there may be one coming up, I think later this month. Like the large field, whatever, and, and have never won. If you look at the Roto-Grinders leaderboard, there are plenty of people there that, I've never won. And there are some people that have won multiple times that are nowhere in the top 20, right? I mean, like your goal is to get the lineups up there. Yeah. So judging, that's why I use, I use this, this chart on, on Roto Tracker the most, mm -hmm. right? What am, am I placing enough? Like if I go to take out this year, just MLB in general, right? It's actually lower. Right. So like I like 1%, 1.5, 1.4, 1.4. Right. It's still a little too flat up here. Not, not steep enough. Like I'm getting, I'm getting, I mean, I'm profitable at MLB. My my total overall profit is right. If I take off just this year, right here. But I mean, look at look at these downswings. Right. So this is my overall 23,000 overall lifetime. But still nowhere off. Like my high is look, look how high this has gone. All the way down, like dip, half of it is gone. And like you said, like one of those fifth place finishes that you had, instead of being at twenty two, you're right. I'd be back up at six. Right, I'd be back up exactly where it was. Right, exactly. That's the that's the difference. So these are the charts I look. So like MLB, like I'm just I'm I'm placing more than my fair share. So I'm playing above the rake. Here, but not that much above the rake, especially uh, since I'm not, I'm getting a lot of like 4% to 7% over here. I'm not, I'm not getting a big bulge in the middle, at least, right? I'm not playing like ridiculously too safe lineups. But compare this to like GPPs overall, like I take away MLB, and this is for all sports. This is oh, what I like. 
Yeah. That, now we're talking. Yeah. 1.8% in the top 1%, and then it's pretty steep down. Right. This is what I want all of my charts yeah, to look that, like. That's, that's, the, that's the pipe dream right there. Well, this is my life. This is lifetime. This is GP I, I, I'm saying sports. you're living the dream. You're right. That, that's that graph. That's what you want. Right. This is what I want it to look like every year. So that's what I compare it to. So like, Although, I'm, I'm like, I, I'm, I how close say, am I at to this? Not enough 0% finishes. No, nah, yeah. Not, not enough. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not getting my fair share of last place. You're, you're not partying quite hard enough. Like you got to pump up those 0% numbers a little bit. Get, get that up to like 0. 0.6, 0.7%, you know? Have you seen some of the lineups at the bottom? It's hard to beat people that didn't submit <laughs> one. It's right. It's, sometimes people don't even submit them. I know. In the, in the YouTube chat, Andrew Abern asks, uh, uh, Jordan, why did you stop playing cash games in MLB? Uh, because uh, the lobby is just full of, the, at some point, you're just playing sharp players against each other. Like on DraftKings, I started like, having to withdraw my head-to-heads because like there's no, there's no one playing them other than other sharp players that that at best were splitting the rake. I mean, like uh, it's not going to be profitable long-term. Then if I'm not playing them and then I look in the head-to-heads, like how much volume can I get? I can't play low stakes on DraftKings. So at $5 and up, I'm just like, this is, po- why, am I, why am I spending volume? Because I'm only playing a percent of volume. So... All the money that I put into cash games, I, I can't put into GPP. So I'm, I'm playing both, but I'm not playing. Like when I was playing cash, I wasn't playing the 121 single entry, the 250 ball four, the $88 mid. I was kind of like cash games and then like 80 lineups into the large field or like, or on FanDuel, I'd play 150 into the $4 and 44 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that total amount with a couple of thousand in cash, like that was, a, that, that was my risk tolerance. But once I take some of the cash volume away, I could add it to GPP play. And when I see that, like, what's the point of playing $1,500 worth of volume on DraftKings when you're just playing against other sharp players? So I just, I just cut it out. On FanDuel, so it's, I could play the $1 or $2 contest, but over time, bad players start going broke and stop playing cash games, really. And then, then it's like, how, how much is it worth it? And, and it takes me so much longer to select contests on FanDuel, especially when I'm trying to get all my volume in one and $2, right? I'm trying to get $1,000 of volume, a dollar and $2 at a time. Like that takes up so much of my days. Like how much is this worth it now? Especially when the fields are much sharp because a lot of the bad players are gone. I see I see on FanDuel, even with the head-to-heads, that I'm stuck, I have, I have $50 head-to-heads, $20 head-to-heads, whatever on, on FanDuel, $25 head-to-heads. And the beginning of the season, they'd be taken up by random, random people. And I, I beat them like 70, 75% of the time. And now luck comes and I still got three $50 head to heads, nothing like no, no takers for stuff. So what's the point? Like, so what's the point when I'm going to play loves bases for a $50 head to head on, on FanDuel? Why? There's no point, right? I'm going to play empire maker on drafting. What's what, what am I doing this for? Right. Just to get the volume. No, I'll just, I'll move over and now. I'll play the single entry on I'll play the 121, the full four 250 that I wasn't playing before because they're smaller field GPPs. I typically hand build my lineups into that. Uh, you don't have to worry so much about, you know, getting the nuts. And I'm doing that instead because just the ROI is not worth it to play against other sharp players. The number one thing in DFS that'll affect your ROI is your relative skill level versus your opponents. So you want to find the weakest opponents possible. 
If I can't find weak opponents, there's no point in play. I'm not just going to play to play. So where are the weakest opponents? If they're not in the cash games, then the, why, why are you playing them? Now, if, if you could bum hunt and spend time in the three-man lobby and you know pick and choose, especially if you're playing with a small bankroll, you're playing if you're only playing $100 or less in volume, you, you, could, you could find weak competition. $1 head-to-heads here, $2 head-to-heads there, a $5 three-man that opens up, right? Because you don't have to, I mean, within $100, you could find all of that. Now, $100 worth of volume isn't like, even if you have a 20% ROI, which would be high in cash, that would be worth 20 bucks right on 100. Now, right. if you're building up your bankroll from there, okay, that's fine with a $100 bankroll, with $100 in volume and you have a $1,000 bankroll, getting an expected value of 20 bucks a day in cash, it's pretty good. Getting expected value of 20 bucks a day when you have a $300,000 bankroll and you're playing $3,000 or more in cash, like what the hell, why? What was worth? How, how, is, how is that worth it? So like, yeah, the first $100 of my $3,000 of volume, I could really find the weakest opponents, but the other $2,900, I'm playing, I'm, I'm, I'm playing Utical. I mean, like, uh, wh why am I doing this? Like, so I don't even bother. I mean, to me, to me, that's like a core concept of DFS. Like, go where the weaker players are. Find the, and if you can't find them, don't, just don't play. It's, it's quite possible, James, that if you're the type of person that's like, I specialize in this, like I specialize in three mans, right? And that's all you play. Because there's some people that just do that, play certain types of contests. And it's like, well, if there's no, there's no good action in the three-man lobby, they just don't play that day. Mm -hmm. It's not because, well, oh, well, I got to play DFS every day. No, if there's no, if there's no edge. You walk into a poker room to your normal game, and you see, it's just all sharp people and no bad players. Like, perfectly fine to just go home. Rather than, well, I, I'm here, so I might as well play for eight to 12 hours, just passing around chips for no reason. Like, no. Or you sit and you wait for so you, you wait, you wait for the bad players to come, which you can do in poker. But in DFS, you can see that. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, and we, we talked about it, what? A month ago maybe we talked about how uh mlb cash games and like mlb in general like probably time to start winding down the volume a little bit and and moving forward into nfl preseason or moving forward into you know xyz because we're we've gotten the point now in mlb where it's pretty much just the good players are still grinding hard you see it with every single sport we see it with nba where the last two months of the season like if you're still playing cash games the last two months of the NBA season, it's because you're a professional player and like that's what you do is you grind out cash games in, in NBA or uh, you're just, you know, waiting around and waiting for MLB season to start. Like you, you drop down your volume because it's only really good players. And when it's only really good players, your skill gap between you and the people that you're facing gets so much smaller. And so now not only do you have less of an advantage over the players that you're playing, but you also have to still be beating the rake. You still have to be getting the ROI on top of that. So your ROI in a good ROI, ROI in cash games is like seven to 10% or something across an entire year. So if a good ROI in cash games is seven to 10%, and that's against bad players as well, if you're only facing good players and that drops down to like three to three to five percent or something, like not even it wouldn't even be that one percent, maybe. Yeah, like, what are you even doing at that point? It, it's just, why bother? Just play GPPs. So we, we talked about it. You, you just kind of do that. And 
Um, you especially, Jordan, like, especially when we talked for the MLB season earlier in the year, cash games were kind of weird this year for MLB. I think that so many people have access to, you know, the bat X and, and good optimizers and stuff like that at this point that um, cash games and MLB this year, they seem to a little bit rougher than they have in years past. And, and it's the, it's the, it's the field strengths. It's, I'm telling you yeah. on, on draft, on DraftKings, it, it typically in the start of seasons, we see more bad players, like new people come in, they try it out, you know, a month or two goes by and then they, you know, kind of drops off from there. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'll, at least I got the first month or two or something like that. DraftKings, like just even on the f- opening slate, I look in the head-to-head lobby and I look to see at, in my my double-ups, like just what the opponents are in there. And it's it, it feels like it's August already. Like, yeah, in, like in, in the, on the first day. On FanDuel, it didn't. Even I'm not even just talking about it because I can play the $1 and $2 games. I mean, eventually I'm not going to be able to do that anymore once I get enough you know volume there. Mm-hmm. Uh but even in like the, I was getting fifty dollar and twenty five dollar head to heads taken by by idiots essential. I mean, just random, like, like why did they make? I would look at their lineups and go, how they ever expand? I've never, and then you would never see that person again. I mean, like, and then the next day it would be some other random person. So I found on Fanduel, like I there would seem to be more more soft action attracted, you know, in MLB. But right from the beginning on DraftKings, it's just. Like, no, you're not playing against any, you're barely playing against any idiots. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you may not agree with their cash line. It's, it's a 2v2 from you. Oh, you paid up for this guy and I played that and I did that. Oh, okay. What, what's the point? So like, why am I devoting volume to that? Right. But I, I mean, I was stubborn enough to go, okay, let, let's, let's ride this out. And then eventually I'm just like, like, this is, this is pointless. What, what, I, why am I, why, this is not a good place to allocate capital. Right. It's not a matter of, can you beat it or not? It's a matter of, well, I could give the grind out possibly somewhere between a minus three and a 3% ROI over the course of a year with this money, right? Or I could take this money and put it into a different, like buy a different stock, right? I mean, it's like, just like, a, you're just looking for, for places to put your investment. Right. So if, I, if I'm investing $3,000 on a slate and that's all I'm investing, and I'm going to play 2,000 in 2,500 in cash and 500 in GPP. Well, that it changes how much what GPPs I could play. It changed what how much what if I decide to play 2,500 dollars. Like I need to I need to find that volume regardless. But if I can't find that volume, where where am I? I'm going to put it towards a better investment. And I, I after a certain point, I'm like, why am I even bothering with this in the first? There's there's a better investment. I I think the 121 single entry and the 250 ball four are better investments now. Yeah, maybe could and Fanduel may instead of putting uh, head to heads on DraftKings, maybe I double down on cash on Fanduel. You could do that, but I I did that and it got to a point where even my fifty dollar and twenty five dollar head to heads weren't being taken. So I'm like, like yes, I could fill up about three to four hundred dollars worth of volume in the one to two dollar range if I click on every contest and check every hour. But at that point, it's like, well, what is that? Is that a good, the best use of my time and my and my capital? No, right. You're making like six bucks an hour on that. Right, right. So if that's not, so where can I put? Where can I put my capital? Right, and that's why, like, uh, Michael Dompier says, uh, psychologically, do you find yourself wanting to play less MLB since soccer and MMA have been great? Are you assuming variance for MLB is just the issue? Well, I just showed you with the. Mm-hmm. The the grab the, the finishing positions. I don't think I'm playing badly. 
the finishing positions look fine. I've got one top 20, top 10 finishes. Just, yeah, the variance has not gotten there. But like soccer, I've played for the longest. Like I started with soccer. So whenever EPL and Champions League, like that is my priority. Like it's like people <laughs> that that is, it just not, it happens to be on at times where there's really no other sport. But like, but like Saturday mornings are it's EPL times. So third, Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons, uh, on the select weeks that's the champions league run like that's that's soccer that that's that's how i started it that's how i built my bank by playing soccer dfs so yeah mma i just started playing last year but it doesn't mean that i don't want to play mlb but like i'll prioritize soccer over mlb i'll prioritize soccer over everything but even on saturdays for mma typically i don't play mlb that day oh i'll be around you probably prioritize mma over mlb at this point no, I, I already do. Yeah. Only because yeah. the edge in MMA is so much higher than it is in MLB. Mm-hmm. So how am I going to allocate my time and my capital to the higher ROI pursuit? And I believed that uh, MMA was, and it turns out it was. So it's a good, good thing I did that, right? You don't have to play every day. Same thing for NFL. Like I prior, like on, on an NFL Sunday, do you think I'm playing the baseball slate or something? Right. I don't I don't even play the MLB like night slate, the the late the the Saturday night slate. So I'm focused on building my lineups for the next day for NFL. Yeah. Because more of my capital is invested in that versus you don't have to play every slate. So I'm so most of the times during NFL season, it's gonna be Saturday is MMA, Sunday is NFL. And if there happens to be MLB or NBA overlap, just then I I just don't play those. But I know some people that play ever that that they're they're playing NFL early only NFL late and the NBA slate at six and really? the and the eight o'clock shut like every the LOLs going on the soccer in the morning like all all the things come I can't do that I don't want that I can't I just I I'm I, I'm not affected doing that you know and and that's a really good way I think a lot of people try to handle too many slates and even people in my community my community is pretty small and I I have a lot of people who are probably around intermediate bankrolls and they just spread themselves so thin by like trying to play the morning slate and then the afternoon main slate and then the evening slate and then the showdown slate and it's like bro you don't have to put a lot of time into a lot of those lineups. Sure. If you're playing one to three lineups and like you want to play those four slates across the day, that's awesome. Um, But one, the, the amount of variance that you still have to deal with across those slates is still going to be the same. And two, if you lose all four of those slates and like you can't mentally handle losses very well, uh, if you play a week straight of that and you lose every slate for a week, which is feasible in MLB. Like that's not even, that's not even normal. That, that's, you're going to experience that probably two or three times a season. Yeah. yeah. If you lose, that's the equivalent of what losing, like if you play four slates a day, that's 28 slates straight, straight. Like you're going to burn yourself out so fast. And, and I, I think too many people just like, they get FOMO and, and they are worried they're going to miss out on having the nuts. And they're like, oh, I would have, I would have played this or I would have played that. And, that they just want to make sure they're getting their their shots in, I guess. And like, that's fine if you can handle it mentally or if your bankroll can, if you're really, really good about your bankroll management and you're only playing like 1% on each slate and blah, blah, blah. But 
man, it's like, even I, I burned myself out in MLB because of like content creation plus MLB plus esports plus like all that stuff. I burnt myself out on MLB really early this season. And I only play two slates a day. Maybe if I, if there are two slates, if there's two main slates, I'll play them both, but it's hard, man. It's really, really hard. I think more people need to take care of their own mental capacity when it comes to playing too many slates. And I, I just see too many people play too many slates. I think you should play the slates that you believe that you have an edge on. I mean, like, devote your capital to, to what, right? It's like, I, the reason I, I'm playing MMA, once I learned MMA, is because I, I think there's a huge edge in MMA, mm-hmm. right? I think there's a huge edge in NFL. I play NF, NFL Showdown. I think so that's I, a huge yeah. edge in NFL Showdown. But so I need to make sure that, I, that I'm capitalized for that. So, like, the Monday, the Sunday night game, the month like the Monday night and the Thursday sometimes are like are I'm not going to play the Monday through Thursday you know the split slate or the the all week slate like those like I sacrifice those because like why those are things that I have to manage throughout the right to swap this guy and and see what the best line and then try to pick off head-to-heads or something if you're playing cash and like I know I rather focus on the things that I believe I have the biggest edge and then devote the money to that I mean like so on a Sunday, Sundays, especially like Sundays, when I play MLB, a lot of times I don't play that like four o'clock late, slightly, sometimes like the four or five gamer, because it's just like, I'll play the, I'll play the Sunday one o'clock and then I'm, then I'm done for the day. Like I, I, I don't have to, I'm not playing the Sunday night baseball showdown. I don't typically don't play MLB showdown, although I probably can, but it's this Sunday's the day to rest, right? Especially before NFL season where Sunday's not going to be the day to rest. Right. Right. So like there, there has to be Saturdays are now I'm getting up at, at nine in the morning for soccer. So I don't get that as a day to rest. Right. So now I, I got to find some time to, to, to relax at some point. And then dark sheep DFS. Are you mostly playing against sharps? Aren't you mostly playing against sharps in the 121 and MLB too, at this point, wouldn't the same logic of pulling back from cash games pertain to that? No, because I have a bigger edge in the 121 versus the, the head decks. Versus it's everything an entirely else. different build style, right? It's entirely different. Yes, there are there are sharp there are sharper players in that versus other contests in the lobby, but there go check the one twenty one. You'll find ton, you'll find plenty of people that put in the cash lineup into the one twenty one, and the, the ownership condenses to to make it that it's it's not game theory optimal to play some of these lineups that are being played. Uh, that, I mean, Eric Beinfor, we talk about it on the Theory of DFS podcast all the time, uh, why he plays those types of contests, because the higher volume players are not paying attention enough to the specific contests that the, the, lineups, are, the lineups are not optimal. Many sharp, sharp players are not playing optimally in these contests because it doesn't represent enough. It's very similar. For instance, in NFL, I'm going to play tons i mean i play unlike DraftKings. i'll play three 300 head-to-heads i mean i play a ton of head-to-heads for cash games now i'll i'll, I'll post up to 109 so people will take my con you know one whatever but i can post at five dollars so i'm going to post probably 35 dollars head-to-heads 45 dollars head 30 40 10 head-to-heads do you really think that uh, now I've had people have, have, have DM me before, like after like the the four once the four the late games lock, 
And then someone that is playing a $5 head to head against me, because I don't know, they see me on Twitter and they want to whatever they say. I, and they'll ask me, it's like, I heard you talk about, you know, late swaps. So you're not blocked like all the time, like go through and make sure, you know, you swap in your head to heads. It's like, we're playing together and we have a one V one. You both, we both have uh, uh, Amari Cooper. Like you could have calculated that and you never swapped. You know what my answer is? Like I'm, I'm playing $10,000 worth of volume and you're a $5 head to head. And I've only got so much time in between 3.30 and 4.15 in order to, in order to optimally play like that. So yeah, I'm checking my 109s. I'm checking my 50s. I'm doing some late swaps for GPPs, right? But there's the $5 head, the $5 out of what, what I'm playing is just, it's, it's not high on the priority list. Yes, I should have gone there and swapped the CD Lamb. You're right, I should have. But I mean, I, I needed to make sure I did that in my 109 head-to-head against this guy versus the $5 one down there. So that's very similar to some of these single-entry, smaller-field GPPs where, you know, some of the high-stakes guys, they're, they're playing, they're playing $40,000 worth of lineups. The, the single-entry 121 or the well, ball four 254 max, a lot of times is just getting their highest projected lineup. Yeah, just getting or, or some random lineup or some like or their cash lineup or 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 their highest own lineup, and that what that's what makes the 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 ownership condensed so much and makes it easier to exploit. If they paid attention to that, they'd play much more game theory optimal, but they're not because they'd be like, well, why did you just play your cash lineup in the one twenty one? And you know what? You know what someone will say is that because because I'm playing forty thousand dollars. The same thing that I said to the guy that's playing the five dollar head deck. Like, no, I'm concerned myself with the $5,300 Thunderdome entry and my 150 entries into the, into the $100, you know, big, you know, they're running a special, the 888, he, they have like 33 entries into like, that's what they're worried about. The 121, that, that stuff, right? They're, they're, they're three lineups into the three max hundred, you know, like you play the, the, the power sweep in NFL, right? Which is $150 three max. And I'll play three entries and a lot of people will play three entries and I'll handcraft. I'll based on what I believe I'll do mine specifically, but you have people that are playing 200, 300,000 worth of volume that that $150 entry is not, is not the price. They're going to play a good line. They're going to play a good enough lineup, but it may not be the best. And we may get some, there's a lot of laziness in there because they could still over the course of all of their volume still end up with a three to 5% ROI. On top of so so same thing for me. Oh, I lost the five dollar head to head to that guy because I didn't swap. Yeah, but I still made money on. I mean, I I won the, all my one oh nines and I won half my. I won so great. I lost a five five dollar. Did, did it represent that much? No. So it's the same thing with with those smaller field GPPs that and, until more of the sharper players, higher volume players in the lobby start specify. You know, start really. Having having a system, I mean, it's all it all comes down to automation, right? And they haven't got to the point where it's been worth it to do it. To like, okay, now I need to separate my contest types, different lineup constructions, because I'm not playing a million lineups. I get to, I get to prioritize that, right? That's what I'm taking advantage of. So I take a look at at uh, GPP with sharper players in it and go, okay, I can predict what they're going to do, so I can exploit it. But that doesn't help you in cash games because cash games, 
you don't get rewarded for exploiting that. Right. I don't get more for being in first place. No. So, so I want to play, you know, the, 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 the higher medium projected lineup, which is most of the sharp players are playing something close to it. So, so there's not, not as much edge there when there's edge in those small field single entry contests, I could 10 X 20 X 50 X my money rather than double my money or, you know, 40, 45% my money. So, so to me, it's, it's much more profitable to allocate my capital and play those games and play the same requisite volume in, in cash. Mm-hmm. I talk uh, a lot about that point of, of sharper players and specifically higher volume players who play their cash games in uh, this, the lower dollar single entry or even the 121 single entry or whatever. Um, because I get a lot of questions about it of like, well, that, that's just his cash lineup. Like that, look how well he did with his cash lineup, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean that you should be playing your cash game on. Like that there's a difference between the way that they are playing heavy, heavy volume players who have $15,000 down on an MLB slate and, uh, and you who has $150 down on this slate. And like that 121 represents a massive portion of your equity in the contest. Like for them, that that's just a cash game with upside. If their cash game lineup binks it, it's like, okay, cool. That's awesome. But like, they don't really care so much about that contest because they have the Thunderdome or they have the 1060 or they have like three in the 888 or whatever, you know, like, like all those examples that you mentioned, the amount of their portfolio that they have in other contests is going to significantly outweigh whatever they have in 121. So they enter their cash game lineup in it simply because it's a high projected lineup that has a good chance of doing well. And they're just looking at it like, okay, well, if this does well, then that's awesome. But I, I don't really care about this contest. Right. It's, it's you as a player with your $150 in, in contests and like you're playing like the $20 three max and the one fit and the 121 and like the $5 three max or something like that. You have to try to bank that 121. Like that's where your money is. So you got to try to pass that field. You can't just put your cash game lineup in there and hope that you have a, a 15th percentile outcome. Like you have to aim for that 1% because that's where the vast majority of your equity is. Right. It's just, if you do it by scale, it's the same thing. Like when I play soccer, EPL, most of the time in the $5 and $12 single entry contests, I have my cash lineup. Yeah. Right. Because I'm, I'm, I'm playing one entry into the 555 and I'm playing like 10 entries into the large field GPP that I'm hand building. So like, but like, well, I, I still, I'm still positive EV in the single entry stuff with my cash lineup. So I'm just, I'll throw it in. Right. It's the same, but on the scale, it's the same. Like, cause I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing 1500 to $2,000 worth of volume. So $5 or $12. So what? It's not, it's not, it's not, I didn't particularly make my lineup specifically for that contest. I just threw in whatever it is. And you could exploit, you could exploit the field that way. But my lineup is actually a very good, still a good lineup. Could I've won the $12 single entry with my cash lineup before. So, I mean, like, especially in soccer where cash lineup and GPP lineups, you know, aren't that much different, especially for the small field stuff. But it's like, no, I'm focused on the five, on my $555 entry because it represents a third or 30% of whatever I'm playing that day. So yeah, I'm on that. And the, maybe if I had more time, if I had, if I had more of a system, yeah, sure. I'd have different liners for all those things, but, but I, I don't need to, like, I'm, I'm, I make plenty of money in soccer as it is. So until, the, until 
I need to get down to that edge. Like you could exploit me. You could go, you could go and play the, right. I'm going to play, tw- you're going to play $20 worth of volume. And t- one of those out of the 20, $12 is in the, that single entry. Now, now it's the same thing. If I'm doing in the 121 in MLB, the same exact, same thing in football with the, you know, you play the, the power sweep or the, the spy, the hundred dollar spy. You wouldn't believe how many, how many cash lineups there are God, in the hundred dollar so spy. It's so bad, dude. You go, you go through that contest CSV the first week and it's just like. There are trains. There are like 76 person trains in the spy. That contest is soft, man. Yes, it is. Why do you think I play it? Well, I mean, but like people don't realize how soft a hundred dollar contest can be. And like that. But but, but the thing is, it's not, well, NFL is softer as it is, but it's not necessarily softer because there's more bad players. It's just that there are bad players in it. And there's also plenty of otherwise sharper players that are not playing optimal. Right. Just when, when you say that a contest is soft, people are just like, oh, well, it's it, like, it's a hundred dollar entry. Like people aren't just going to throw away a hundred dollars. And it's like, they, they are though. <laughs> they literally are though, because of the contest and the, the lineups that they're putting in there. I mean, you'll, you'll see them like uh, every single year, the first, the first week, it hasn't happened yet. Oh wait, no, has it? Has the pricing come out and has a running back on injured yet? No, but it probably will happen. Okay, yeah, it, it happens every single week. And then we're going to have a 4K running back that is going to be 60% owned in that contest. And then people are going to take the highest owned stack and put that together with the highest owned running back. And then they're going to take a defense at 40% owned or whatever. And those lineups are dead. Like the, those lineups do not even matter in the scope of that contest because they can't pass each other. They're all the same lineup. So there's 200 people that have six out of the nine players together that, that can't do anything. Like they're, they're already done. So that, that contest, when, when you say that a contest is soft and people think about it and they're like, oh, well, people aren't going to throw away that money. It's like, they are though. I promise they absolutely are. That contest is soft. Well, it's the same way that when I, when I call dead money, dead yeah, money doesn't mean bad ago. players. Dead money could mean one of two things. One, really bad line. I mean, dead money, most people think of the first type. People that are putting in, like, they, they're going to be playing Cam Akers in week one. I mean, like, like dude, the guy's out. I mean, like, you, you those lineups are dead. Yeah. They're dead, dead. They're dead to any position. You know, they, they, the backup quarterbacks or some wide receiver, you know, 3K wide receiver that was cut from the team, you'll find some of those. Obviously, back in the day, maybe 2012, you found a lot more of those. But the predominant amount of dead money is what I talk about and what other people don't talk about is the min cash lineups. The lineups that have good shot at min cashing, but a very small shot at winning first. So being that in GPP, all the equity long-term is in the first, you know, the top five spots, if not top one, right? So all those min cash lineups that have much less shot of winning first than any of the other lineups in the contest, other than the obviously the injured player lineups, the failure to submit lineups, to me, that's dead money. Even though these lineups, those min cash lineups, they'll, they'll take up part of the prize pool, right? They'll, we'll see that lineup coming in 147 and then come in uh, 268. You know what I mean, but it, it's, it's, I'm not competing against, I'm not competing for those spots. I'm competing for the top, five spots in the contest so if you tell me that 20 percent of the lineups in the contest have very little shot 
at winning first place. That's what it doesn't matter to me who's playing. Like, oh well, why why are sharper players playing those lineups? Well, they shouldn't be, but they don't mind min cashing and having less first place equity when it only represents 05 percent of their their allocation on that slate. That and I'm exploiting. And that's the point. I'm exploiting that the same way that you could exploit me in the twelve dollar soccer single entry. This the same exact way. It, it it works the same way. Now until. Uh, the edges in some of the other contests, you know, goes away. Then, then you'll see sharper players that care more about, you know, contest by contest. But that's what we're talking. But that's what we're talking about. When we say dead money, it doesn't mean bad players. It just means lineups that don't have a shot at first place. So you're building. When I play the single entry contests, I'm not building lineups to min cash. I'm building lineups to win. A lot of times, I'm playing the MLB 121. And I come in, I, I think even the past like two weeks, I think I've come in in the top 10 twice. And the bottom, like the bottom, literally the bottom 10, like yeah. twice, like the bottom of the bottom. Pump up those 0%. Pump up those 0% finishes. <laughs> but that, but that's how I play because the, the, the barbell strategy works in the 121 because the ownership gets so, can that we, we sometimes see, I mean, they're 44% owned batters on 12 game slates. We see 83% on pitchers. So it's like, dude, fade that guy, fade this guy. Don't stack either of those teams, right? And then you end up with a lineup that you look at your lineup and it's like, you're playing a 13% on pitcher and 8% on pitcher and all your batters are in the single digits. And it's like, well, this is a lineup. This is a contest where I don't have to be perfect. So as long as one of these two stacks goes nuts like i could have zeros in some of these and possibly win as long as the truck fails so to me it looks like a lineup that is way too over leveraged but it isn't because i don't need the nuts so i don't mind getting like i just want these these high on guys to fail i just want this truck lineup to fail and then do just well enough and a lot of times those single digit owned players are still good players it's it's the fourth highest projected stack but there happen to be four percent owned you're like, why is that? Well, because everyone's playing the Red Sox today, right? Because you see every, everyone's playing 30% own Red Sox on an 11 game slate. It's like, yeah. why would I even, why would I even play? This? Well, because they, they're under they they project well for their price and they're in everyone's cash lines. So they're going to be in the 121 way too heavy. Like, dude, yeah. I just have to hope the Red Sox don't hit, don't, don't, don't score eight runs. And, 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 and I'm good. That they're facing the Orioles and they'll score eight runs. Because it's the Orioles. I'm so done with the Orioles, man. Just relegate them. Just, just relegate them. There's so many teams to re- there's more teams to relegate than just the Orioles. Well, but so let's start with the Orioles. Just why, start why? there, and then you can snowball through the rest of them. Like I don't care. You can relegate whoever else. Just start with the Orioles, please. Because I'm tired. Of them. This is simply a me thing. Uh, but yeah, no, you uh, you play through, and the other day, that's that's a really good example of the Red Sox being like 40% owned on a long game slate. And one of the problems with that, with my models, I take ownership projections, I do an ownership aggregate, and they have been bad towards the last like week and a half, I think. Uh, and simply because chalk is just being so concentrated at this point that they keep coming in underneath where these stacks end up being. I mean, you can even, you can project the Red Sox for like 20 to 25% per batter on 11 game slate. And even then you're looking at that and you're just like, that seems really high. 
And then they come in 40% owned. And like Bogarts is like 44. He's in like half the entries. On an 11 game slate, that's crazy sauce. And that's been hard for me to reconcile. Um, especially because like I I need to build my own ownership algorithm, but depending on other people and other sources for that, that's hard. That's hard for me right now. So I'm trying to reconcile that, but it's been, I just needed to rant about that for a second. Yeah, you aggregate. I do aggregate. Yeah, okay. I, I aggregate like five, five separate. Okay, oh, you got five inputs and it's still not good enough? Well, because all of them are under. That's what that's what I said. Like, it's, okay. The last week has not been great. I mean, it's it's been awesome throughout the entire year, but like the last week has been frustrating. And I think it's mostly just frustrating because it's been the Red Sox against the Orioles. And like the models love them. I, I have told people to play the Red Sox because they have they have looked appropriately valued in my models. Like the leverage right, right. has not been bad because the ownership has come in and said, hey, these guys are gonna be like 20% owned. And I'm like, okay, well, they have like a 40% chance of being a top scoring stack. So play them because they're not going to be owned enough and then they end up being you know slightly over owned because the, the ownership projections have been low and that's just that's because well, people are looking at because that's what people are looking at i know i know that's why you have to take that into account like that's that's my mental calculations i like yeah. it's not like see i take it to the second i take it to that third level uh that's why i that's why i want to see what everyone else that's why i listen to shows even though it's just background noise i'm not like paying attention attention but like during nfl season i'll listen to all the shows i'll listen yeah. i'll i all what all the sites are saying what all the projections are in multiple places because i need to know what other people are looking at so like you said like in your model the red sox were the top stack they were the highest owned stack but they still weren't high owned enough right and then all the other places you looked had the ownership similarly where everyone could see that they're the highest owned stack but they're still not high enough so what are people's response to that? Well, that oh, means I should, that they're good chalk and I should be playing them, Yeah. right? Because they're looking at that information. So now everyone's looking at that information, which means they end up being higher on than they should be. And now, now you're looking and going, oh, I shouldn't have played them at that ownership. It's the, it's the same, same thing. You need, to, you need to know what people are looking at. Yeah. Because we'll see in, in uh, there was one week last week, last year in NFL. Uh, it, there was a certain tight end for the New Orleans Saints. Oh my God. Yeah. That I was in cash games. He was 44% owned. He didn't even play. He barely played. Right. Adam Troutman. Yeah. Because this was Jared Cook was out for the, for the Saints. And it's like, well, uh, Josh Hill was kind of injured or something. So it's like, well, they got this rookie kid or whatever, Adam Troutman. They're, I'm assuming they're going to play with a tight end. So. He's gonna be he's gonna be out there, whatever. That that's what the prediction was from several sites, the content sites and analysts and everything. And he was in minimum price. And it was one of those weeks where there was not no tight end worth playing. And either you were paying up for like a Waller or Kelsey or something like that, or you just punt. And it and, was like it was late in the season, too. So like there were no, no, this was early. This was like fourth week of the season. It wasn't fourth week. Yes, it was. It was early, it was September. Okay, continue. Go for it. Okay. But the point is, is that like ownership projections around the industry, like for GBP wasn't that owned, right? In general, for like the mil the large field stuff, because we kind of live in a bubble. But from the cash perspective, I'm like, like, are people really gonna play Adam Troutman in cash? Like I I figured like 
maybe he comes in 15% owned in cash in cash games. Uh, and he was like 40, 40 to 50% owned. And I'm like, because people look, because people look at stuff. It's like, okay, I, I punted. I, I, I think I paid up that slate. Uh, but you could have punted down with like a $3,200 tight end. I think like Irv Smith was playable or something like that. Uh, there was some like 30 to like a, like a Logan Thomas or whatever in that range. But people were influenced so much by other sources that the owners, they are looking and the owner, when you're looking, we, we go to Slate IQ on Roto-Grinders, right? And Slate IQ says that here are the percentage of the top stacks and here's what they're going to be owned and who has the highest leverage. So you look at maybe uh, on a slate, it's like, oh, look, looks like Toronto's going way under-owned, right? They have a, they're the third highest stack, but they're going to be the one of the lowest or whatever. I'm going to play the Blue Jays. It's like, well, that means their ownership's going to go up. The more and more people look at that information that says that. So I need to know. That. So that that's the point that I'm making. It's like, I need to know. And then you have to adjust in your head of like, well, everyone's saying that it doesn't matter what the projections say anymore. Everyone is saying this. Everyone is seeing this, right? I look at the bat projections and I go, oh, anyone that's looking at, that's weighting the bat in their aggregate or just using the bat in general, they're going to be playing a lot of Drew Smiley today or something, whatever. Yeah. Picture Andrew Heaney, picture du jour. But then I look at another system and it's not like they project poorly, but nowhere near as good. So it's like, like they're not going to be on, whoever looks at this information, it's not going to stand out. Whoever, and then I look at another piece of information, it doesn't stand out. But now if you're basing your ownership projections by just one source, you'd be like, oh, Andrew Heaney is going to be 32% owned. Right. Right. And then, then you play, then you're like, oh, I can't play him at 32% owned. And then it locks and Andrew Heaney is 11% owned. And you go, well, at 11%, based on his projection on my source, I should have played a ton of him. And I actually went under on him because I thought he would be over owned. He's like, because you're not looking at other sources. So you're in this little bubble and you don't know how the field is going to, and then, then, Everyone that's looking through this lens in this little bubble is seeing a 32% on Andrew Heaney going, I'm going to fade that chalk. Andrew Heaney chalk, I'm getting out of here, right? So it's not going to be 32% anymore. Maybe it ends up being 24. If everyone was just looking at that, the ownership would go down. Right. That, to me, this is, this is what game theory is. This is what, this is, like, you have, you have it's, it's, a, it's a game of optimal decision-making with the available information that's out there. Now, a lot of the field doesn't utilize that information, so you don't have to worry about it, right? There's tons of people that are going to play NFL this season that you say Adam Troutman, and you go, who, right? They, they, you, it's like, well, yeah, but he was, I, I listened to like 17 fantasy football podcasts, and they all mentioned, like, well, I don't listen to all the podcasts. So you're going to see, you're going to see a ton of that. But you're also going to see a ton of like, well, he was mentioned here, he was mentioned, projects well there, projects well in that, you know, high, uh, is Derek, is everyone playing Derrick Henry? Is, are you playing shock Derrick Henry? Are you playing under own Derrick Henry? Like, are you playing under own Dalvin Cook? Are you playing over own Christian McCaffrey? Like all those decisions, people will look at that information and react to it. So weighing that into what you're doing to me is important. So that's to me, James, why it's possible that ownership projections, especially late into the season where a, a heavier percentage of the overall player pool the user pool 
are more serious. I would, I don't want regulars, more serious players. Sure. Yeah. So they're more likely to, to, to be looking at some type of projections or some type of something. And then we could all see it. And, you know, they just go, Oh, but I'm just, people are blindly acting as if no one else could see the same information that they, that they're looking at that isn't proprietary to them. Right. Right. Even for you, James, like at paydirt, paydirtdfs.com. If you want to check out, take a look at James's models. Uh, like if you, if you kept it to yourself, your model, like your model would be different. Like, like you, you wouldn't be looking at it going, well, everyone's going to see this. So I'm going to do differently. No, because you, you may, you may have, you may be higher in someone than no one else in the industry. I mean, like it, nowhere, no other model. Have, I mean, and you're relying on that, but once you give it out and you say, Oh, to everyone else, take a look at it. You have to assume that whoever has looked at it has weighed it at some point, some percentage wise into what they're going to do. And especially if that's the only thing they're looking at. So your play has to change based on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's part of the thing about being a content creator. Um, luckily and happily, I have a really small community. Um, I have less than 500 subscribers. So my, my models are not going to affect the larger contests, but uh, there are times, you know, in the, in the 121 or in the 250 box, like where there's, 25 of us or so that end up on i don't know some person who projects super well on my models but not anywhere else and so the ownership on him looks like we're, we're all like oh well this guy's only going to be like five percent owned and then there's 25 of us in a 200 person contest that end up on this guy and now he's he's 10 percent owned it's like well that's maybe a little bit higher than we would have wanted but like it's all us right so that, that is one of the harder parts about being a content creator. Um, it's, it's also one of the reasons why I like playing the major sports and, you know, MLB, NBA, NFL, because the contests are large enough to where that doesn't matter. But like in League of Legends, I, I myself can legitimately like push some of these contests into like chalk. Like if, if I have an underdog that my, my in-house model has as like a favorite and then like the $33 contest or something in League of Legends, like that will legitimately push them 15, 20% higher than they should have been. And that's where it gets hard, like in those smaller contests. So that, that is something you make a really good point of that. And something that I do struggle with sometimes of looking at it and just seeing, because I trust my model so much and seeing that like my model has this team as being underowned. I don't look enough at other sources and I probably should, but it's something that I've, I've stopped doing for the last couple of years ever since I started my own site. So I, I do need to be better about that. Right, like on, on the MMA slate that I won big on, like I, I could say the Roto-Grinders, like the differences in the industry, like the Roto-Grinders ownership projections for Kiesa on that slate were way too low. Yeah. Like, and the ownership projections, we were co more correct on the Muno's ownership, right? So like, on in, if you just went by Roto-Grinders ownership, it would look it would look like Munoz is overowned and Chiesa is way underowned, and you'd you'd play you'd go well I'm gonna I'm gonna fade Munoz and play a ton of Chiesa and then it would Lockwood hit and you would see Chiesa's thirty seven percent owned and go what the hell happened there right like that's like like he was projected for twenty two percent ownership he's thirty seven it's like like no like I look I'm 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 reading everything else and everyone's saying this is the best underdog play in the entire slate. 
Like, so I'm like, there's no way he's going to be the, he's not going to be the highest owned underdog. Yeah. And then you have to adjust based on that. And then I knew Moon, so we were right on Munoz, but other sites had Munoz lower. They had Menifield as massively owned. Menifield and gone on that slate and and Munoz down at like 34%. We had Munoz and RG at like 40 plus percent. And two other sites had him like 34 and 36. And we had him at like 45, came in at 47. So it's like the, the people at those sites look at look at Chiesa being projected owned at 38 and Munoz as under, and now they're playing a ton of Munoz and fading Chiesa because he's over, like doing the complete opposite. Because they're just looking at that specific information, not realizing that other people are looking at information. So what, I, what do I want to do? I want to find it all the piece of information that more of the field is looking at. Now, obviously there's, there's, small content creators out there. There are YouTubers out there. You know, you know, I'm not saying, no, oh, you got to listen to everything. But like from the major sites, yeah. Sign up to Roto Grinders, Roto Grinders Premium, $10 off. Click on the link in the description below. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not in a bubble to know that not just Roto Grinders that exists. I would, I would, I like Roto Grinders. I subscribe to Roto Grinders from the very beginning. I would suggest you do the same thing. But there are other sites out there that people look at. So from, from a reconnaissance mission type of thing, as a serious professional DFS player, I want to know what they're looking at. Even if I don't agree with it, it doesn't matter. It, to me, it's the accuracy. It doesn't matter to me. It's just like, what are other people looking at? Right? And if people want to look at your stuff, your stuff. They want to look under your hood. Uh, you're, you're no longer in Nebraska anymore. Not. Uh, Paydirt underscore DFS on Twitter. And uh, you, you, got the, you, got those, you got those LOL models, right? If you want to play esports. Yeah, League of Legends uh, is winding down right now. Uh, oh, there's an offseason? There is, yeah. So uh, What do they got to do in the offseason? They're playing video games. Well, they have practice for Worlds. So, like... Practice? Yeah, practice. It's important, dude. Like, you should dive into the world LOL a little bit. Um there, I did a lot. Uh, laughing out loud. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, well, anyway, there, there's a lot that goes down, but uh, summer, the summer split is almost over. So we're in the playoffs for that right now. Uh, and then it'll go into worlds, but counter-strike just came back. I'm sure that we'll have plenty of Valorant contests. So league of legend, so league of legend is going away, but we'll still have plenty of esports. and then uh, NFL is coming up and NFL, I think is one of my favorite models that I have because of like everything that goes into it. So pretty excited for that season startup and um, yeah, just, Pretty excited for for all the rest of the year to to get through and see what else we can do. Right. And if you want to learn more about the strategic concepts, the game theory of DFS, the theory of daily fantasy sports, a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass from me and James. Theoryofdfs.com. You can follow me on Twitter at BlenderHD. As always. Good discussion that we have on Mondays, right? The just generalized kind of strategy, getting getting our, you know, good at kind of reviewing our seasons, what we're doing, are we playing, contest selection, anything. Answering your questions in the YouTube chat. And uh and I'll be back, I'll be back tomorrow. We got a uh we got a we got a slate tonight. We got some, we got uh, maybe Tuki Toussaint chalk against the Marlins. Just how is that gonna go wrong? I already see it's gonna go wrong. Garrett Cole, is he on a pitch count? I have no idea. We'll see. Uh Wade Miley actually projects well. That doesn't seem good. That doesn't seem promising. So, uh, and Matt Harvey is probably going to throw a no hitter. So, 
So if you stack Tampa Bay against him, it's a, you, you've got no shot. Congrats on <laughs> so well, we're going over this slate tomorrow, as I do all the time here on YouTube. Hit the thumbs up button on your way out the door. Hit the notification bell if you're new here. Hit the notification. Uh, hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. We got Grinders live later today and crunch time for premium members. So I'll see you tomorrow, as as I always do, Monday through Friday at 11 o'clock Eastern for the DFS pregame show on rotogrinds.com.